You're listening to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy. Welcome to our Decodable Text series. In this series, we will consider what the research says about decodable texts and how educators can effectively use decodable texts in classroom instruction. Today, we'll be talking to a team of educators who made Eureka Math Squared decodable and readable for students. Often, students have difficulty in math because their deficits in reading get in the way. This team of educators helped eliminate that concern so students could, quite simply, do the math. Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy, Literacy Podcast. Today, we are really excited because we've received some questions from our listeners about the topic of math readability. And we've been doing our homework and gathering the right crew to discuss this question, this topic, and we have them all here today. Yeah, we get to talk about math today. I love it. <laughs> it's so fun. It makes me a little uncomfortable, <laughs> just a smidge, but we're going to uh, do it. <laughs> I mean, it's really it's really more about the readability. But <laughs> I know. <laughs> we don't have to do math. <laughs> so today we have Rachel Hilton, Maria Parr, and Chrissy Hopkinson, who all work at Great Minds, and they'll talk to us about the work they did with Eureka Math Squared, along with other projects at Great Minds, to ensure that the curriculum was decodable for students at different grade levels and why this was such an important project. Yeah, so we're so glad you're here. Thank you all for being here. Um, Melissa, should we just like kick off with a general question? Yeah, I think so. And I love that, like, let's just start really basic. So whoever wants to jump in to answer this, when we just talk about those words, decodability, readability, what do they even mean? And specifically, what are we talking about when we talk about math in regards to those terms? Yeah, um, well, I can take this one. I think we learned a lot through our project with geodes. Um, you know, I think this is where this all started, this understanding of reading is so much more than just blending sounds together, right? It's being able to access the information that is in front of you. And that's with decoding, putting phonetic sounds um, and phonetic patterns together to create a word but also understanding what you're reading um, and being able to internalize that work as well. And so, you know, we, that comes with phonetic, phonetic sounds, sight words, but also context and background knowledge. I think that's a really important thing that can get lost in terms of readability. So when I think of readability, I think of also accessibility, being able to access um, the text in front of you, both physically and kind of cognitively. Um, and so, you know, when this all started, I think with geodes, we learned a lot about phonetic sounds, um, sight words, and how those can be processed by a student. You know, those are often memorized and that can be heavy. That's a lot of words to memorize, right? Um, even though you, you glance right over them as you go, that's for a first time reader that you have to hold that in your mind every time you approach a sentence. Um, so it can be a lot. And I think as we learned, you know, 
the projects of Witten Wisdom, PhD Science, Eureka Math, Eureka Math Squared, you know, they realize we need to have a united front um, to make sure we can provide access for students and empower them, right? We want students to be able to feel welcomed by this text, not intimidated. And in the world of math, I remember we always would just say they want the students to be able to get to the math, not being, you know, inhibited by a word problem that's too long or, a, you know, the directions that are really meaty. And, you know, I don't even know what the problem is in front of me because I can't read it. And then you're, you feel kind of alone, right? You don't know, can everyone else read it? Um, we didn't want students to feel that way. We wanted students to feel welcomed and, as I say again, empowered. Yeah. Thank you for that, Maria. And would you or either Rachel be able to just quickly snapshot geodes in like a sentence or two? Like what are geodes for those listening? We did have a whole episode on geodes, but in case our, our, someone listening hasn't listened to that episode. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I will, try. I will try. It's like, how can we do that in one sentence? As you said, you know, two, you can have a few. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, geodes were, was a project that um, many of us worked on at Great Minds and it's, they're readable texts um, about uh, very top, various topics that relate to the wit and wisdom modules. Um, and so they follow a phonetic scope and sequence um, with a, a company from Wilson Foundations. And that's how we, we made them decodable up to 80%. And so they're readers um, that students can access. And based on where they are on the phonetic scope and sequence of foundations, they will be able to access and read 80% at least 80%. Our texts are also far above 80%, which is wonderful. Um, and But most importantly, they're about wonderful, beautiful, fascinating topics. Um, as an author and editor on that project, I mean, I, I, we say our Jeopardy game has gotten so great <laughs> because, I mean, just the information and the fascinating topics that they discuss is really wonderful. And, you know, we've gotten feedback that the students love them as well. Yeah, they are pretty amazing texts. <laughs> I'm biased, Thank but yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's okay. I feel like I've learned so much too as an adult, you know, so I many know. Uh, topics that were missed maybe in my childhood. So they're beautiful texts. Um, I know teachers do love them. Um, but okay, swinging back to math, I don't want to get too caught up. <laughs> so We've now kind of talked about readability and math and, and those different um, pieces that we want students to be able to access. But let's talk about why readability and math is important. And I'm wondering if Chrissy might be able to kick us off for this one. Thanks. I'd love to. This one is really near and dear to my heart. So as a teacher, a math coach, a literacy coach for 25 some years and using a variety of math programs, including our first math program called Eureka Math, um, I really felt like personally from all the teachers I've worked with and all the classrooms I've been in, that students were held back for their full, uh, their full power, their full access to mathematics because of the student-facing text. So when we started to architect Eureka Math Squared, we really had uh, a few things in mind. So I'll outline those first and then break them down a little bit. One of them, uh, and most importantly, is equity. Can we ensure every student can see themselves as a mathematician, can develop that learner identity in power as a mathematician? 
Can they access grade-level text um, at all times that is high-quality and engaging? Um, and engaging, is it fun? And do they feel joyful in learning that math and feel empowered? And also the idea of accessibility. So if we take in mind that we assume learner variability is uh, absolutely the truth, right, for all students, all classrooms, uh, and even ourselves um, in any different uh, particular subject area, can we ensure equity, accessibility, and engagement in everything we do? That's a very complex formula, right? Uh, some of that has to do with hands-on math and discourse and lots of things. But one part of that, one important part of that is that reading is needed, right? In mathematics, whether it's directions or word problems. And we don't want students to cringe when they get to uh, the, the small portion of the text that might, excuse me, of the lesson that might include, um, that does include independent practice or, you know, paper pencil practice. That's a really important part for them to actually do math and for teachers to watch them and give feedback. And we don't want them to always think that paper pencil, right? or the word problems are the hard math or the math that they uh, don't want to do, right? Because really, that's the math that's real. That's the math that um, creates future mathematicians that involves them in really modeling um, problems and using the math that they know. So it was really important to us that everyone could access that. We also know, whether you use a research base or Lexile levels or uh, any of the great things that Rachel uh, taught us about looking at, you can just open a math text for students and get a very quick sense of how dense it is, how difficult the, um, the words are to read, how just visually frightening uh, or, uh, I don't know, it's just not, they don't see it in a way that feels accessible or exciting. It doesn't feel like how it does during the rest of the class. So our idea was to really lower the cog load, the emotional filter when it comes to the text and yet never eliminate the rigor. So really keep the math rigor, keep that precise math language that they we, we know they need to be able to read, write, and speak, but get rid of those barriers um, around reading. One of the math practices, uh, the math practices are a lot like your, uh, in reading you have content and process standards. For us, the math practices are process standards. It's how mathematicians think. And one of them, uh, the first one, math practice is to persevere and understand. Many of us focus on persevere, and yet if you cannot read the text, you are virtually unable to persevere, right? Because you can't access the math, and you also are unable to understand if the language is a barrier. So we really just wanted to eliminate that. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Thank you for, I mean, <laughs> going through all of those different reasons. I think it's huge. I think, I, you know, I was just thinking as you were speaking about you know, at that at the younger grade levels, especially, we think about you know the the text that they're engaging with, like geodes, right? Making them engaging, making them, you know, look like something they want to read. But when you get to math textbooks, I don't know that <laughs> that 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 is thought about too much, right? It is often just dense and and not not really trying to be friendly necessarily with with the. Um, the words that are being used, the text that's being used. Rachel, I'm wondering if you have anything to add because. Chrissy mentioned that that you taught them about, <laughs> you know, what was in the like other kinds of textbooks. Um, do you have anything to add about what you saw in the regular math texts? Yeah, sure. So um, before I worked on geodes, I was a, a middle school and high school math teacher. And um, I think uh, 
it's kind of like the ways in which we were trying to make math more accessible to students were kind of all the wrong ways, right? We were giving them a lot of busy sort of illustrations and blurbs and sidebars and all of these things that just sort of contribute to that idea of text density. And, um, and so, uh, you know, it's really, you can't really use Lexile to evaluate math text um, because, so much of that is is based off of like paragraphs and paragraphs. And so one way that you could bring Lexile down is to add more text, which is not supportive of students. Um, and so this, when uh, Maria and I started developing these um, sort of buckets for looking at text and sort of saying like, how can we preserve the rigor and also um, uh, really uh, scale down the context in a way that would be more inviting, engaging, and uh, accessible to students. Um, So we looked at sentence length um, and structure. We looked at word choice. um, And of course, we looked at decodability, especially between grades K and 2. And um, we also looked at layout, like how um, how to provide white space, chunk text, give plenty of space for students to draw, um, you know, offer places for them to put their answers. So those were all things that we started looking at um, and developing some guidelines around for writers. Um, And then um, we also um, worked quite closely with uh, the um, subject matter experts. So I typically did um, reviews at the same time that um, the the math reviewer was coming in and we often had these conversations about like, well, what wording can we change and not change or what um, content vocabulary do we need to make sure and um, goes in there. And um, so I felt like, you know, even coming from a math background, I still felt like I I learned a lot from the subject matter expert as far as saying, no, I have to be precise in this way. I don't have to be precise in saying like number of teaspoonfuls of chocolate syrup. Like it's okay to say, teaspoons of milk, but I do need to be precise in other areas and make sure I'm preserving, you know, product, composite, difference, like all of these words that students really need in order to build that, um, to build their math literacy. Does that answer your question? Right? Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) I'm curious. And I'm, I don't know if you all have this in front of you, so feel free to say, no, we don't have that. You didn't tell us to have this, (laughs) but do you have any examples of like, what a word problem may have looked like that was just not readable or decodable (laughs) that I think our listeners would really love to hear that, like, you know, and, and, and if you have the, like how it might've been changed. (laughs) It's a little bit of a hybrid of a problem from our old curriculum and another, um, to be honest, a competitor curriculum, but is very uh, really exemplifies what you would typically see in a grade one or grade two classroom. Um, and it, I don't know the verbiage exactly, but you'll get the reason, you'll get why it's so dense. So uh, if you picture a paragraph at the top of the page, uh, directions very close to the word problem itself. And the directions say something like, read the problem, um, draw a, a labeled picture. This is intended for grade one. So six or seven year olds, you can think about your phonics uh, mm-hmm. scheme inside of there. Uh, show how you made 10 and write your answer in a complete sentence or something like that. One line of space in paragraph format. It says something like there's 16 um, hedgehogs. Some of them burrow into a hole in the forest. 
Uh, now there are 12, uh, how many burrowed in underground or something like that. Um, that is a very typical uh, change unknown uh, word problem type. So that's appropriate rigor, right? And appropriate numbers for the standard. But as you can tell, like, first of all, it's just so dense looking on the page. Right. Second of all, you can, we've, we've unpacked for them what we think their mathematical process should be to solve it and to show their thinking. When in reality, uh, a real mathematician or a real engineer has a lot of choice around how they, uh, their solution pathway, their representations, their explanation of the answer. Um, and then, as you can, I'm sure you can all, you know, chime in, like hedgehogs aren't appropriate context, right? First of all, we're not giving accessibility for pretty much everyone on the planet yeah. at age seven who may not know what a hedgehog is, but also like just the multi-syllabic words, right? Underground and hedgehog and forest mm -hmm. and just a lot of extra context that is not needed to get to the math. Yeah. Because also like burrow. That's a I difficult yeah. verb. <laughs> yeah. Rachel taught us about sentence length. Um, so that was really important. Uh, one of the, I think the best, two of the best things that we did together uh, in grade one. So my work primarily as a lead writer for grade one was that really heavy work in layout uh, and decodability and context. So this, Rachel can talk more to the upper grades and how they did some of these things, but we decided to always have a lot of white space. That was probably our first uh, decision. Um, and then also to drop every sentence to one line so that you can envision instead of paragraph form, you have the first sentence, right? I think it says something like there are 16 frogs, right? And do I really need to know they're in a pond? No, I don't. I put an <laughs> image if I want. There's just 16 frogs, right? Some of them hop away or some of them, you know, leave. Something as simple as that, we probably wouldn't have used the word leave. Now there are how many frogs hopped away or left? Something as simple as that. Same word problem type, but now I've got one. It really follows what we use. Uh, we call the redraw write process. We ask students to, and we talked a little, I said a little bit about math practice one where we ask students to persevere and understand. Well, if we ask them to just read and represent one chunk at a time, we've supported that by chunking that information out for them already, both math mathematically and with their literacy. We also got rid of all those crazy directions, right? We've been learning about <laughs> make 10. Most students will. Some students aren't there yet, and they're going to use a different strategy or a different representation. So we just gave lots of white space, and we simply just have the words read, draw, write on the page every time all year. So once they've learned it, they don't even, they've internalized those directions. They That's don't so even smart. have to read them. <laughs> Also, just really familiar context. This one, I, I, you know, I'll have to admit that I still have some internal conflict over this. We intentionally chose very accessible, common um, context, unless we had visuals or we have context videos without words that could then supply the background knowledge or the schema for it. Uh, so frogs, right, or school supplies or things around the home, shoes, toys, those kinds of things. So that you have to provide less background knowledge and really just let them get into the modeling of the math. We have a little bit more we could talk about, but I would love Rachel to talk a little bit more about that at the upper grade levels. Yeah, so um, I, I actually have a sort of before and after for you if you want to hear it. Yeah, um, I love the examples. <laughs> this is about a travel soccer team. Um, so this is sort of a problem that we would be looking at to try to stream down somewhat. 
Siobhan is very excited about uh, joining a travel soccer team for the spring season. She wants to determine how much money she should save for expenses related to her new team. Players are required to pay for uniforms, travel expenses, and meals. If Siobhan buys five uniform shirts at a time, she gets a $10 discount so that the total cost of five shirts would be $55. Write an algebraic equation that represents the regular price of one shirt. Solve the equation. Oh, wait, hold on. Before you say anything, Rachel. Did you already I, solve it, Lori? Did you solve no, it? No, I didn't even pay attention to the math. I was so paying attention to the readability right? of it. Well, here's what I was wondering. First, I was like, totally like, that's a lot to pay for. Second, um, <laughs> I was thinking what we should do, since Melissa and I don't know the, the grade level, we should pick the grade level for the math that we think this is and the grade level for the readability. Like we can do a little game, Melissa. Oh, man. Right? Because I was thinking, this, I'm but... so distracted by thinking readability. <laughs> I, I didn't listen to the math that much, but I remember enough. <laughs> All right, Melissa, what do you think for the math level in this problem? Spot. What grade is the math like pertaining to? Okay, well, I wasn't focused on that when Rachel was reading it, <laughs> but I'll go ahead and guess that I'll guess seventh grade. For the math. I'm just guessing. I don't know. Okay. I was guessing, I was going to guess third grade for the math, but this might just show how much we don't know about math. <laughs> I just went with equation and I was like, when did I learn about equations? <laughs> oh, oh, I missed that word. I missed it. I was <laughs> first, first grade. Okay. I don't, I don't. Yeah. Know. We teach okay. the word equation. That's an example of a non-readable word. Non-readable word, but it's a math word. Ways. Yeah. And we don't yeah, shy away from using there. it. We just support it. Sure. Okay. So now let's think about readability. Hmm. I, I, I probably would say the same. So I'm, I don't think I'm helping this. Okay. I was thinking, <laughs> I, was I was thinking like in, school. <laughs> I was thinking eighth or ninth grade level for readability. We should have had prizes for ourselves here. Look, <laughs> Yeah, All well, right. I, I, I can only slightly narrow it down for you because we pulled these and sort of like grouped them by level. So this is, <laughs> I think this is maybe a fourth or fifth grade problem. I don't know if you remember, Chrissy, when we pulled it. Oh, and okay, we'll split the difference, Rachel. <laughs> All right. All right. Four and a half grade. Um, and uh, let's see. And I think if I remember correctly, this was at about a ninth or 10th grade reading level. Um, yeah. Holy so I know. Um, I wanted, can I add something in really quick, Rachel? I was thinking about what you guys were saying in the beginning around the difference between decoding and comprehending and understanding, right? And the connection. Mm -hmm. And as a former fourth and fifth grade teacher, I may have students who could decode that, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't know if on top of the math and just the perseverance it takes to get through the length and I've already decoded that... I've just lost so much perseverance, so much cognitive load. I probably have to read it two or three more times to now comprehend. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's it's the whole package, not even just the decodability, right? It's just getting beyond that whole, you know, look and feel of the experience of that word problem. Again, word problems are super hard to be avoided at all costs. Save them for the end and maybe I won't have to do them. Yeah, that is. Which is not what we clear. want. That's not how <laughs> we want them doing those juicy tasks up front, right? Yeah, I, when I when I would talk to writers, sometimes I would tell them like, 
you know, reading is basically a leaky bucket. Like the better you are at, le- at reading, the less it leaks. But to get from one end of the sentence to the end, like to the other and make meaning, you know, especially if you're reading slowly, it's really just hard to hold on to all that information. Um, and that takes us to like one of our fundamental rules. Um, we use what we call the age rule. Um, which is like when we were thinking about the average length of sentences, we um, focus on the student's age. So, you know, fourth or fifth grade, I would want a sentence that's nine or 10 sentences or nine or 10 words long. And some of these sentences were about 20, 25 mm-hmm. words long. And that just is, it's just really hard to keep track um, of that kind of information. So, you know, if I are, am stepping into this problem, I'm going to simplify the context, like, you know, it's great that Siobhan is excited, but I don't need to know that actually in order to figure <laughs> out what her cost is. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't need to know what she's required to pay for. Like if that comes up in a, in a future problem, then sure. Yeah, we can really set information, but I don't need to know that up front. Um, and I, and I don't need to know what season it is. Is it spring? Is it fall? Doesn't matter. You know, I, so. didn't, even, I didn't even think about that when you were reading it, all that just extra information that's not needed. I don't yeah. remember what season, what season was well, it? Because it was the first time I heard it. It was like, I was just trying to take it all in. So I didn't know what was necessary was, or not. It was spring, Lori. Spring soccer. Spring. But, okay. um, I, well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, speaking of the leaky bucket, I was so focused on everything that was coming my way. I was like traveling. So much, yeah. And then I got distracted. I thought, gosh, that's a lot to pay for. And, you know, I'm thinking like a parent. <laughs> not helpful. Uh, can I ask a quick question about the names? Mm-hmm. Okay, talk to me about names in math word problems. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Help me yeah, understand yeah. how we choose names. Uh, so for Eureka Math Squared, we had a spreadsheet, and the spreadsheet was broken down by grades. And um, we very carefully chose a list of names that felt um, uh, that were accessible to students in that grade based on decodability or just, you know, sound spell, whatever they had gotten to. Um, and was also, we felt as reflective as possible of the, the students who would be, um, uh, who would be reading these problems. And so in the, in the younger grades, there's definitely a lot of like, you know, Lynn and Max and, you know, Val, like we, that's sort of unavoidable. But um, when we got to upper grades, uh, we definitely tried for a little bit more, uh, just a little bit more interest, honestly. You get tired of reading about, about, you know, little CBC words. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. We were very intentional about diversity, but also non-gender. And so really just thinking about how we could balance that out Mm -hmm. um, and then also balance it out, you know, sort of vary it. But one of the things in the curriculum, when we had to use CVC words, right? So we had a whole phonetic sequence this amazing team made for us in grade one around high frequency words and quarters and phonics. And that really helped us choose our language when we weren't using a visual icon to support um, a word. We did use other names in our textbook. So the teacher could use. So, for example, if you're sharing student work on a slide, um, you might have had a more interesting non, uh, non-readable word that was used so that we were trying to be more diverse uh, in hearing names, even if we weren't uh, in reading names, because that was difficult to do with the phonics we were allowed in the younger grades. 
So in this case, I would definitely have changed the name Siobhan, um, just because yeah, that one that is just like difficult, right? <laughs> For those of you who don't know, it is often spelled S-I-O-B-H-A-N, right? Um, yes. <laughs> and um, and, and so all the Siobhans out there, it's a pretty name. But it is not beautiful readable for our yeah. first graders. Beautiful name. Um, so anyway, so I might change that name to something like Amira, which would be accessible to a student in um, grade four, grade five. Um, yeah, so that's something I would think about. Um, and then I, what I would notice when reading this problem is that Siobhan is required to back add to find the total price. And then she has to divide to find the unit price. Um, so as a, if I'm rewriting the problem, I don't want to lose any of that. I don't want to, you know, have her being multiplying forward or doing any of that. Um, <clears throat> let's see. I can't remember if there's anything else here that I would kind of get to. Um, so here's the, here's the revision. See what you think. Amira buys five different shirts at the same price. She has a $10 gift card. After using the gift card, Amira's bill is $55. What is the price of one shirt? Show your thinking. Yeah, so much better. <laughs> I think when you read the first one, I got so caught up in like discounts and <laughs> I was like, I, I don't even know what you were asking me to do because there was just so much information that I was trying to take in. But that second one, I can, I, I still can't do it. I would have to, I would need to hear it at least one more time or <laughs> have, have it written down, but I think I, it feels better. It's interesting too. You, I can Lori? actually visualize yeah. that. Yeah. You know, before you're mm -hmm. caught up in, like I was caught up in the story of the soccer, you know, like the shirts and all the things. Right, and right. Rachel reads it again. You're like, oh, oh yeah. I, I didn't even see all that that was hidden in there. You know, you want, you get lost in the context sometimes. It's so true. It's like, oh, wait, you wanted me to do math? I just wanted to know what was going to yeah. happen with the Yeah, were they, did they win? Yeah. How did the season go? Did they win the tournament? What color were their uniforms? Yeah. Well, and, and, and let's just say, like, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit later about different things that you could do in your classroom to kind of, uh, if you can't, you know, obviously um, – edit your own curriculum all the way down. Um, so there are definitely ways that you can co-create a story to engage students. We are not saying don't engage students. We're just saying, be very mindful of what it is that's on the page in front of a student. Like not trying to erase the fun, just trying to yeah, make it accessible. That's a really good point. I guess I'm wondering, is there anything else that you'd like our listeners to know about the process for making this readable? Before we jump into some general readable directions, like if you were going to help someone who maybe doesn't have a curriculum like Eureka Math, Eureka Math Squared. Yeah, I can say, um, you know, one of the things that we thought about is we thought about multilingual learners. We thought about um, students with dyslexia. We thought about reluctant readers. We tried to get all of these groups in our minds. And sometimes these groups have conflicting needs. And so you have to sort of like mm -hmm. navigate those differences. Um, but that when we were thinking about changing context, we were always holding um, those groups. So we were thinking about like, okay, what are gonna, what's going to be familiar to a student coming in? Like, is it easier for them to, uh, to know the words or the phrase piece of construction paper? Or is it easier to know pencil, right? Um, and so a lot of what you're doing is just sort of paring away the stuff that would be frustrating or 
long or, you know, like you can look at a chunk of text and tell how long it is. If it's six lines, you know that it's different than two and a half lines. Um, so that was one thing that we tried to do is, is think about um, what words have cognates that could be helpful, like what in, in Spanish or, you know, um, Arabic or anything that sort of would, would come up. And um, uh, let's see, we thought about um, how much does a student need in order to do a problem? Does a student need to know that the shoes are in the, like that, a, that a, you know, Mel has three red shoes in her closet? Or is it okay if she just has three red shoes? And where is the other shoe? I don't know. Um, so it's things like that, that, um, that we were really just trying to like put ourselves in, in the place of that student. And that's the thing that maybe is the most powerful thing you can do as a teacher is, of course, like, you know, your students, you know, what's going to be difficult for them. Um, and you know, what's going to be difficult for them that doesn't have to do with math. And that's the thing is like, if they've got a cognitive load, put it on the math, like empower them to really um, step up and, and see themselves as a mathematician, even if they don't see themselves as a reader. And that's really what we were trying to do is say, just because you, you're not, you know, comfortable reading doesn't mean you can't be super comfortable with math. And that's our goal. I would add on that uh, I I could not agree more, but it is really challenging when you are not presented with student text in this format. Um, and even just giving them a sticky note or a piece of paper so they can visually chunk, right, and just get rid of that visual filter of how difficult it is and just look at one little piece at a time, I think that can really help. And we just used a lot of visual. So if there's any way that you could support the context, support some challenging words, like if you're stuck with hedgehog, you know, burrowing hedgehogs in a forest, a very simple visual can at least just get rid of the need to have to, uh, you know, really read those words, understand them, create the visual for themselves. I think that's really important too. Uh, we used both visuals in the forms of videos or um, an image on the page or those little um, just visual supports. Some people might think of them as rebus or icon. They aren't really either one of those, but just little images above words uh, they might not be able to read. Um, really, I just think really helped uh, people a lot, students. And I'll just add just one more thing to round it out is, of course, you know, non-readable, non-decodable words are unavoidable in some situations, right? You have to use them. So creating a readable, accessible entry point so that the students don't shut down immediately on the word or scenario they don't understand. Instead, you know, kind of a, a nice glide into the word problem, you know, example for colors, right? Instead of orange, yellow, and blue, maybe, but you need to use the word orange, why don't you do red, black, orange, right? Things that might be phonetically decodable so the student isn't intimidated at first. And the orange goes at the end because they can kind of, get to that point and feel empowered and be like, oh, I read the first two. I'm, I can try the third. Things like that, you know, because as you said, certain words are unavoidable. I'm really glad you said that. That is one place that was probably the biggest challenge for Rachel and I, particularly in grade one. The standards are pretty heavy. Like we have comparison, equations. Uh, there are some very challenging math concepts uh, for six-year-olds, believe it or not. And we, we do conjectures around equality and true-false equations in first grade. That's, that's a pretty big oh deal gosh. for very young <laughs> students. And words like equation, uh, number path, 
representation. Those are words that we are in the standards that we don't want to leave. So I love what you just talked about, sort of like wrapping it around with full support and full uh, readability. And then we actually tell the teacher. So if you are a classroom teacher that doesn't have um, this kind of curriculum or this kind of text, if you could recognize what those really important mathematical words are that cannot be accurately represented with um, with an image, like you cannot represent count mathematically uh, with precision, <laughs> right? There's so many versions of that word and ways to go about it. Like we were like, you cannot have an image to, for count. But if the teacher knows it and warns the students, you know, and you look at it, you identify it, you talk about it, that at least gives them a filter for that word. And hopefully everything wrapped around it is pretty readable. I'm wondering if you want to talk a bit more about, or if you have anything to add about just this connection between literacy and math. I'm imagining like the teachers out there who are both literacy and math teachers and thinking like, on my literacy class, I want, (laughs) you know, I'm trying to do one thing. Is this something different that I'm doing in math? How do they complement each other? How do they work together? You wonder if there's like a level of practicing, right? What you learn in your literacy block, literacy class, you know, when you get to math, being able to practice those sounds as you would with in, you know, a decodable reader, a geode, you know, something like that where you're practicing, practicing and learning those things. And again, through that practice, feeling empowered. And then when you get to math, right, hey, I just learned that phonetic pattern. We've been practicing it. I can read that word. And then you, you know, who doesn't love to kind of check a box and feel like they did something? And then maybe they'll feel more um, empowered to the, the word problems that they see and things like that. You know, I don't think it needs to be, and you know, please jump in if I, you know, I'm wrong. It's not a test, right? That you can read that word. It's, it shouldn't, that's not where these things need to be um, assessed, right? It's more, this is a chance for practice and translating what you've learned into a different setting. I really like that. And I think in the older grades, it's a great opportunity to think about different text structure, different purpose of text, right? Ways that they read differently, ways that you might visualize differently or comprehend or close read differently, like close reading. I'm sorry, is that still is that still appropriate in the science of reading? I've been haven't been a literacy coach. I've been writing math for a few years, but that idea of rereading, right, for different purposes and visualizing. I think there's a lot of process standards that in reading that could be applied to this sort of you know nonfiction or different text structure. The same as we teach kiddos to write and explain differently in mathematics than we might for um, a different genre. I think that this is a great opportunity to read a different genre. And I think if you if you look at Eureka Math Squared, there's a lot of crossover from um, Wooden Wisdom in the sense of that curriculum also uses art and kids, you know, notice and wonder. They notice and wonder about groups of figures. They make up math problems that have to do with that piece of fine art. You know, um, when they look at a read, uh, read, draw, write pro- uh, problem, they often do a notice and wonder and um, what we would call in Wooden Wisdom an organize. You know, they... They write down the numbers that they see and and how, like, well, I've noticed that, you know, these people, five people in yellow jerseys plus one more person make six. Like, um, we ask them to do that same sort of um, of creative and yet um, uh, really powerful thinking in that direction. So I think, you know, there's a nice flow there as far as thinking about what are the tools that help students with literacy often 
translates straight over to what helps them with math literacy, what helps them to be able to read and speak and listen and write in, in the language of math. I love that. And, and part of it too is those softer skills, right? I think it's more common for us to say, everyone needs to be a reader. Everyone is a reader. Everyone has the capability of readers. Like everyone loves reading, right? And yet even here, we've had some jokes about like, oh, we don't want to do math or math is scary or I might not be a math person, right? And if we could, if we could connect those thinking, right? Because math is an equity issue. Math is empowering. We do need to start at the very youngest grades, kindergarten students, thinking themselves as mathematicians, feeling like mathematicians, having the content and the mathematical habits of mind uh, of mathematicians, because getting them um, to fifth grade and staying on grade level content ensures they're in grade level content in middle school. Why is that important? Because every single child needs access to algebra. That creates choices, economic choices, personal choices. That's empowering. Uh, that is, you know, social justice in a way that ensures all students are mathematically literate and empowered. And so if we can have that same kind of feeling in literacy, like look at all the ways reading empowers you in your life. Like you can read uh, directions, you can read um, labels, right? You can enjoy stories. It's the same thing in math. Like look around you. We really try very hard in particularly in the younger grades to mathematize their world and see how math makes you a better person, makes you a happier person, gives you more choices in life. Uh, we've got history elements that show how people from all over the world, all over the time, have used math to solve problems and to ask really great, interesting questions. And people that look like the, you know, the students that are working in our math books and who are doing math, uh, people who look like them are doing really amazing STEM careers. And there's lots of opportunities to be inspired by those people. And so I think if we could just apply some of those reading softer skills to math, uh, we're just going to make really, really incredible students who are capable and achieve greatness. And I think that's a great partnership. I feel like that was a bit of a mic drop moment. <laughs> I agree. I love hearing that. I also love that there's so much, in, like as you were speaking, I just kept thinking of the word intentionality. There's so much intentionality that went into Eureka Math Squared. And I'm not like, I know there's teachers out there who are like, how can I get my hands on it? If you can't get your hands on it, what I'm hearing you all say is there's ways to make this accessible for the students who you have in front of you, like the text that you're showing to students, what's being displayed, the visuals, how can we make the visual representation cleaner and clearer? And then of course, like word choice and language. So there are some things that we can do to help our students and all in the name of empowerment, that intentionality is really, really important. Yeah. And I would add Chrissy's note from before of like just covering parts of the page, right? Mm -hmm. Just, you know, helping students not be overwhelmed by just looking at it. That's the most basic thing you can do, I think. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. One of our instructional routines is called co-construction. You could Google it. It's a pretty common one. Uh, but you can co-construct with your class a word problem out of virtually anything, you know, any image. It could even be, uh, oftentimes it could be something out of a book that you read in literacy. Like, can we mathematize this? What do you notice? What do you wonder? Let's write a problem about uh, what we read this morning in our geodes book or show a little clip of a frog jumping. What do you notice? What do you wonder? How far? How about this frog? Um, or, you know, just any, uh, 
action that happens in your classroom. So-and-so has this many cubes, this many cubes, or this many students in line. How long did we wait? If you're looking for those math opportunities, instead of using the problem that's in the book, uh, just think about that content, right? You know, what math are we asking them to do? And write a word problem together with students. They don't even need to read it. They've constructed it with you. They're internalizing it. Now we're asking them to model uh, and find a solution. That's so smart. I, I do similar things with my three-year-old, but it's very basic math. <laughs> that is so awesome. You are, you are empowering him or her right now. Good for you. The grocery store is the best chance for that. We do it all naturally. <laughs> Unless you do all your ordering online these days, then there's no opportunity for that. But <laughs> that's probably another, that's a different kind of math problem. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for teaching me the word mathematize today. I'm going to use it in everyday language. Um, And thank you all for being here and for sharing how you made this the most accessible math curriculum. I'm going to say in the world. Why not? Love that. (laughs) Thank you so much. This is awesome. I learned so much from you all today. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening, literacy lovers. To stay connected with us, sign up for our email list at literacypodcast.com. And to keep learning together, join the Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Podcast Facebook group and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. If this episode resonated with you, take a moment to share with a teacher friend or leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Just a quick reminder that the views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the Melissa and Lori Love Literacy podcast are not necessarily the opinions of Great Minds, PBC, or its employees. We appreciate you so much, and we're so glad you're here to learn with us.